Y'all didn't talk very long this morning. Y'all must not like the people around you too much. Y'all were kind of quick this morning to sit down. But uh, glad you're here. Uh, my name's Brandon, if this is your first time here. Um, and we are glad that you d- chose to join us this morning for worship. We're in a series uh, called Different by Design. We started it last week, and we're really just looking at last week that there is a design and there is a designer and that he has a purpose and a plan for um, the earth and for our lives. And uh, culture comes against that. And we talked about last week how cultures really taught us to question the obvious, but then to accept the questionable. And, and so we really looked at that uh, and, and looking at how culture can affect God's design. Today we're going to do that specifically looking at the family. Um, I know some of you are college students, um, and uh, you may not have a family yet, but you belong to a family, um, and one day you probably will have a family. For some of us in here, um, our families look very different. Uh, There are people in here who are single moms, single dads. There are people who are still in a traditional marriage where they have children, um, a husband and wife. And, and, And so there's people represented here in very different ways. But I believe today that this message will be very applicable for all of you uh, and for all of us to put into our lives um, this design that God has for family and what that looks like. So we're going to do that in Joshua chapter 24. If you want to turn in your Bibles or turn on your phones or whatever, however you're going to read along, go to Joshua chapter 24. This is a very popular passage, something that we see on a lot of Um, uh, different plaques and things in homes and signs and things like that. Uh, But it's very applicable to what we're talking about today. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, and we're going to read through 15. Uh, This is Joshua who, who came along to lead the Israelites after Moses. And Joshua has led them into the promised land that God gave them. He's led them in many battles that God's brought them through, through good times, bad times. He has been a faithful leader to Israel. It's about time for him to go and be with the Lord. Um, And so they are are now, he's kind of giving his farewell address, so to speak. And he tells them in verse 14, he says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word and the truth that is in it. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is God-breathed. Today, Lord, let it penetrate our hearts. Let it um, separate uh, things in our mind that are of you and are not of you, Lord. Renew our minds today, um, God, that we would think according to your ways, according to your wisdom, that we would see according to how you see, God, that your truth would be the filter through which we view the world, through which we view ourselves, and through which we view our family, Lord. God, I thank you that you, you are here. And we acknowledge that right now. God, have your way in our hearts. Do what only you can do, Lord. Change us and make us more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. So how many of you would say 
um, there's some measure of dysfunction in your family. Any people with some dysfunction in your family? A little bit of dysfunction. I always said this, if, if you don't know who the black sheep in your family is, then it's probably you, right? You're probably, if you can't name that person, most likely you're the black sheep, um, you're the dysfunction. But we all, really and truthfully, we all have some level of dysfunction in our family. And what I mean by that is there's some level of um, operation specifically that's outside of God's design for the family. We, we have attitudes, mindsets, all kinds of things that don't line up with God's design, God's word, God's truth for the family. Um, and I'll tell you this, that uh, culture is coming against the family very hard. Uh, the enemy wants to destroy the family. If he can use our dysfunction to destroy the family, he will do that. He will do that in a second. He wants to come in and destroy the family. Today, when we read this passage of scripture in Joshua uh, 24, 14 and 15, it's always been important, but I don't know that there's ever been a time when it's more important for the people of God, for us in the culture we live in to take a stand in our faith. It doesn't mean we have to get a bullhorn and go yell at people. What it does mean is we have to take a stand for in, in our faith. And I might not be able to control everything that happens out there, but I'm gonna do my best to stand firm in the faith in my household. I'm gonna represent my household in the way that God wants it to be done. And we take that stand. And he says to be faithfulness or in faithfulness, to throw away everything that's not of God and to live a life that glorifies God, to lead and see our families in God's design that it would bring him glory. And we have to decide today, he says, who will we serve? He says, it's, it's not something you can be ambiguous about. It's not something you're just gonna drift into, but he says, who are you gonna serve? Are you gonna choose to serve God? Or are you gonna serve idols? Are you gonna serve false gods? Who are you going to choose to serve today? And it is a conscious choice. Again, you don't drift into this. It is a conscious choice of who will we serve today? And then tomorrow, who are you going to serve tomorrow? But day after day, are we willing to be faithful to serve him and to see our family serve him? Are we gonna be faithful to follow his decrees to allow his truth to shape our lives because culture is coming after your family. The world is coming after your family. And the reason for that is the family is God's plan A for filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Plan A. God has always had a heart for the nations. This is why the world comes so hard against, against the family is because God has always had a heart for the nations, but the way those nations are reached is one person and one family at a time. When you look at this, God desires that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of his glory, but it begins with the family. Even going and looking at scripture, it starts with family. So much of instruction and how God deals with people is broken down to the family level. If you go look at Joshua chapter seven, there's this man by the name of Akan. And he goes and he's got these idols in his household. And the Israelites actually lose a battle. Part of God's judgment on this idol worship is that the, the, whole, the whole nation's affected. 
But then when it comes down, it goes down from, from nation to tribe to clan to family. And God doesn't just deal with a con, he deals with the entire family. And we need to understand this, that our sin as the husband, wife, mom, dad, it affects, there are, there are consequences. There's collateral damage to us not making a choice to serve the Lord and to follow him and for us to make a statement, a stance that we will follow God. Exodus chapter 12, God instructs him at the Passover when they're gonna take the lamb and God's about to deliver them out of Egypt and they're to sacrifice this lamb. And he tells them to put some above the doors and, and, and to just put it on the doorpost. And that when the, 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 the um, angel comes over and he's striking the Israelites firstborn, he says, he'll skip over your house. But he instructs them, he says, each of you take a lamb for your family. There's something to family worship there's something to that, that God brings us down to the family level. We see that Joshua, he says very emphatically, you can almost just hear the passion in this, where he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we need to make that choice and that decision, who will we serve? And I could go into tons of statistics. There's tons of statistics out there about what happens when the family begins to be destroyed. It, it has impacts on the family units, but it also has impacts on entire nation when the family unit begins to be destroyed. And the enemy comes after this. His desire is to destroy your life, your family, and to take what belongs to God. But here's the thing I want you to understand. We're not defenseless against this. We're not defenseless against this. We, we don't have to sit back and just take it. We don't have to sit back and be bombarded and infiltrated by culture. Culture doesn't have to come in and change our family. Listen, our families can go into the culture and change it. Our families can go into the world and change the world. Enough of the world coming in and changing the family and changing the church. We should be a people that are going out and changing the world. We don't have to just sit back and take this. But if we're going to do that, then God and his truth must define our families, not culture. You are bombarded, I am bombarded, my wife is bombarded, my children are bombarded daily with the world's agenda, with the world's angle, with all of the worldly jargon. They're bombarded daily with this. We, are, we see it constantly. We now carry computers in our pocket that are used to infiltrate into our minds. And listen, every idea and every thought that is presented to you and comes into your mind has the potential to change your life. It depends on what you do with it. And if we don't let God's truth define our families and we don't allow the truth to determine for us who we are and what's right and God's design. If we don't realize that what's really glorifying to God is also good for us, then culture will come in and it will change us. 
when we look at this, go to the book of Ezra. You've got to go to the right from Joshua quite a ways through several books. Then you'll come to the book of Ezra. If you can find 2 Chronicles, you're almost there. But Ezra chapter 10, so the Israelites are coming back from captivity. They were in captivity and um, they're coming back. And this man by the name of Ezra is really leading this spiritual revival. But what's happened along the way is some of the Israelites have intermarried with other nations, with other tribes. And this was something that God had forbid. Now, it wasn't a race issue. It wasn't because some were black and some were white or some were brown and some were white. It wasn't a race issue. It was more of a cultural issue. It was more of a religious issue because God wanted his people to remain pure to him. They were to be a light to the nations. The nations weren't to come in and change Israel. Israel was ultimately to be the people that the Messiah Jesus would come through. And so God gave them very clear instructions not to intermarry because he knew that if you intermarry, they're gonna bring their gods, they're gonna bring their customs, they're gonna bring all these different things in and you're gonna begin to adopt those. And in this passage, we're about to read in Ezra chapter 10, verses one through four, Ezra is praying, confessing and weeping over the sin of Israel and this intermarriage and this cultural exchange and this, this worship of different gods that's taking place. Listen to this, in verse one, it says, while Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Can you see this? So much of what God does in people is caught, not taught. And here's Ezra, he's just weeping and pouring his heart out for the people of God. And they see it and their hearts are cut as well. They begin to weep and they begin to confess. It says, then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there's still hope for Israel. I wanna tell you this, no matter where you're at in your family, the family you are leading, the family you belong to, there's still hope. Like some of you, I know when you hear this kind of message, you're thinking, but I've really screwed it up. And maybe you have, but there's still hope. This guy, this man is telling Ezra, he's saying, but in spite of this, you know, God is an in spite of God, right? It doesn't mean that there's not consequences to our actions, but it does mean that in everything, God is still using it for our good to shape us into the image of Christ. He says, in spite of this, there's still hope. He says, now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up, this matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. They're telling Ezra, we realize there's still hope. He says, now let's make a covenant before our God. In other words, let's make an agreement with God and let's not just make an agreement with our mouths. He says, let's actually put this into action that we won't intermarry anymore. We won't mix our, our beliefs with other beliefs. We won't accept their gods and their customs. He said, we're willing to do this. And it sounds harsh because he says, listen, we will put the, the women and the children out. They're not gonna be able to be a part of this. We realize this. 
And it sounds harsh, but this is how serious God is about this, this intermingling within our heart. He says this, that to do this in accordance with the counsel of my Lord, a lot of people believe that there was already a plan Ezra had put in place for the care of the women and children. But nonetheless, he is serious about there not being this intermingling of our worship, of our hearts. And he tells her, he says, rise up. This matter is in your hands. Whether you are a traditionally married couple, a traditionally married couple with kids, whether you are a single mom, a single dad, whether you are divorced or whatever your situation is, this is my encouragement to you. The same encouragement that they gave to Ezra. Rise up, this matter is in your hands. Take a stand, lead. See, Ezra was the leader of Israel at this time. He was like their, their, their high priest at this time. He was leading the nation of Israel. But now the Bible tells us that we are all part of the priesthood. And so we can all do this. We don't look to one person anymore other than Christ as our high priest. And you can rise up and lead in this way. He says, we will support you. And this is the job of the church. This is the job of the body to support you in doing this in rising up and leading your family to follow the Lord, to make that choice of who we will follow. And he says, so take courage and do it. And I encourage you with the same thing. Take courage and lead. How do we keep culture from coming in though and defining our families? It all goes back to God's word and his truth that God's word must be our ultimate authority. And if it is, then that truth can guide our lives. But it begins with this, God in his truth must define us as in you and I, as the individual. If we look to culture to define who we are, we're never gonna get this. We're never gonna see this. We have to look to God's word to define who we are. Who am I in Christ? Who has God called me to be? Who has God set me free to be? And, and am I defined by what the world says or am I defined by the truth of God? The second thing is this, God in his truth must define our marriage. For those who are married, God in his truth must define our marriage. If you listen, married people, if you listen to the jargon of the world, then what you hear is that marriage is a failed institution. It is joked about, it is made fun of. But this is what I can tell you. If you have two people, two people, it can't be one person. If you have two people who are pursuing the Lord with all their heart, marriage can get better every day. It doesn't mean there aren't for better days and for worse days. I say that in every wedding I do. There are gonna be some better days, there are gonna be some worse days. Ladies, there's gonna be some days you love him and there's gonna be some days and nights you wanna smother him with a pillow. I know this, because there's, there's nights I go to bed and I'm like, I hope I wake up in the morning. <laughs> and there's gonna be those days, but the one thing I can tell you, and this is my opinion, you'll have to ask Susan about hers, but for me, our marriage has gotten better through the years. 
It's gotten better. It means more. Because we've been through some stuff. We've been there for each other. Marriage can get better every day when it's done God's way. See, I, I believe this. I believe husbands, part of our job is to protect our wives. Part of our job, and I know like these are some things that aren't popular in culture, but they're popular in God's word. And for me, that's what matters. That, that we are called to protect our wives. Even when we started the church, I was always insistent to Susan, you do what you feel God is telling you to do. Don't you do it because you think everybody expects it. And I would dare anybody to say to her, you should do this because you're the preacher's wife. Now, you know what she should do? She should make disciples and she does that because that's what we're all called to do. But just because you're a preacher's wife doesn't mean you have to play the piano or sing or cook for every person in the church. And it's good because two of those three she can't do. I'm not gonna say which ones. I hope I wake up in the morning. But I believe that. I believe you can look at someone's wife and recognize and understand that person's spiritual life, that husband's spiritual life. You can look at the wife, is she built up or is she torn down? Does she look like she's been loved as Christ loves the church? Or does she look like she's just trying to survive? And, and ladies, it's just as important for you to build up like you need to build up. There's not a man in this room that if their wife walks up to them and you grab their arm and you say, that's a big muscle, <laughs> that they're not gonna stick their chest out a little bit and be like, dang right. <laughs> it's just the way it is, even if it's not true. Y'all remember that old movie Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, he goes from Danny to Arnold in a second, right? It's all, all it, it, even if it's not true. But we are called to build each other up. We were riding home from a football game Friday night, and we're kind of picking, and Susan's like, you know, you aren't doing a very good job of building me up. And I said, well, you're not doing a good job of building me up. She said, well, I don't know anything to build you up about. She was kidding, I think, I hope, I hope. But we're called to do this. We're called to build each other up. We're called to love one another. And, and here's the thing, I hear men all the time, they say stuff like this. They say stuff like, and I'll, I'll just kind of clean it up a little bit, but they're like, yeah, me and the old lady, you don't never have sex. Hey, me and old ball and chain, you know how it is. And I'm like, well, maybe the reason you're not having sex is because you call her the old lady in the ball and chain. I'm just throwing that out there. But it matters, right? It matters if we're building up. Are we building up or are we tearing down? And none of us are gonna be 
perfect at this, but we need to at least be mindful. So God in his truth must first define us. God in his truth must define our marriage and God in his truth must define our children. And here's something I can promise you. If we do not establish our children's worldview through a biblical lens, the world will establish it for them. If we are not intentional to establish a biblical worldview of God, themselves, others, and their purpose, then the world will establish that worldview for them. We have to be intentional. One of the things that I've always wanted for my boys is to lead a normal life because there's that stigma of the PK, right? The preacher's kid. And you always hear, well, them preacher's kids, they bad kids now. And I'm like, I never wanted to pressure my, my kids into this. And, and here's the thing I, I can tell you, I know this. We could have probably had a bigger church, more, more people. We probably could have made a, a better name, a bigger name for connection or even ourselves. But here's the thing that I swore to myself when we first began this church is that I will not lose my family because I'm trying to grow something for myself. And at the end of the day, it's not about me anyway. I made a decision in this that my children will not grow up hating the church because the church robbed them of their dad. And here's the thing I will tell you about that. I am far from perfect. In fact, if you got them on stage and sometimes Susan, when things, you know, people are being people, she's like, just give me the microphone for five minutes. But if you got my kids up here, they can tell you how imperfect I am. But the one thing that I hope they would see and I hope they would know, and they could tell you this, is that I love Jesus and I love them. As imperfect as I am, I pray that my life points them to that. But God in his truth has to define me. Listen, if God's truth doesn't define me, then I will chase after glory. I will chase after acceptance because I don't yet realize I have all the acceptance I need. If God and his truth, it's gotta define our marriage. It's gotta define our children. The question then is how do we do this? I'll tell you this, I believe this with all my heart, that passion is greater than pressure. We will follow passion, we resist pressure. If you are pressuring your children towards church and God and, 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 and Christianity, but they don't see any passion in you for it, don't expect them to follow. But people will follow passion. You know why my kids have all grown up at some point in their life, they played baseball and football. You know why? Because that's the two sports I played and that's the two sports I'm passionate about. You know why all my kids like to hunt and fish? because I like to hunt and fish. And they've, they've grown to love that too. But you know what, if we grew up in the North and, and we played hockey, you know what my kids would be passionate about? Hockey. If we played soccer, I played one year of soccer, they put me at goalie, I was bored out of my mind, I'm like, never again. 
If I played soccer, if I was passionate about soccer, you know what they'd probably be passionate about? Soccer. You know what? If I'm passionate about Jesus and they see that's a reality in my life, not a religious action, you know what they're probably gonna be passionate about and they're gonna realize is really important in their life? Jesus. People will follow passion, but we resist pressure. Second thing in how we do this, we do it by being intentional because being intentional is greater than good intentions. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but listen, if we don't follow through and become intentional in doing them, it doesn't matter. Look at Deuteronomy real quick. The book of Deuteronomy, you gotta go back to the left in front of Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter six. This is Moses. And he's given instructions to the Israelites for when they do cross into the promised land. Joshua took them in. Moses never went in, but he's given them instructions. Listen to what he says. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you. Notice this is to be generational. This is not to be one generation and then it was done. God's purpose for the family was not one generation, it was generational. He says, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know what he's telling him? He's saying, this should be your life. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. It shouldn't be a portion, it should be all of it. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In all of this, one, one word that can sum up everything he's saying is intentional. Be intentional. He says it needs to be your whole life. Does, does Christ, does he hold your whole life together or is he just a piece of it? He says, love the Lord your God. And then he says, impress this on your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road. In other words, we need to do devotions with our children. We need to do devotions as a family, yes. But what he's saying is, don't let this just become a religious action. Let this encompass your entire life. He even goes down here and he, he says, to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The Pharisees later, especially in Jesus' day, would literally do this, but they were missing the point. They were doing it as a religious action, not because of the devotion to God as far as their heart devotion. They were people who lips professed him, but their hearts were far from him. Be intentional, as Joshua said in Joshua 24, to, Make a choice to serve the Lord. Passion is greater than pressure. Being intentional is greater than good intentions. Repentance is greater 
than perfection. This is the last one. Repentance is greater than perfection. A life of repentance can impact your entire household. A life of repentance can impact your entire household. Here's a question. Can you say, I'm sorry? Can you repent? 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul says, be imitators of me. In other words, in the way I follow Jesus, follow me. Understand this, that so much, again, of the Christian life is caught and not taught. And our families can learn so much just from us being able to repent and say, I'm sorry. I can tell you this, my children know that I am imperfect again. My wife knows that I am imperfect, but I have tried really hard to model repentance for them. I've had to tell them I'm sorry, or I screwed that up, or this is how I wanted to act, but I realize I can't act this way. I've had to do this. I had to do this the time that I'm riding down Highway 301 and the guy, he pulls out in front of us. When I get beside him, he shoots me a bird. I may or may not have rolled down my window at the traffic light when we stopped side by side and told him I could show him where to put that finger. <laughs> my name is Brandon and I'm the senior pastor <laughs> at Connection Church. But I had to re repent. That wasn't right, that was wrong. God help me, help me to be an imitator of you that my family can see a good representation of who you are. And I can tell you all week long, I have wrestled with this, with this message. And here's why, is because I feel like I fail in this so much. One of the areas that I feel the most condemnation and some of you are probably the same way is in being a husband and a father. I feel like I dropped the ball so much. And I never want this contradiction to exist of who you see and who they see. But I've told you before, like good message, bad message aside, you see the best part of me here. You, this is the best it gets. Everything after this is downhill. They see the real me. And I, I never wanted them to to, to, to be, to see a contradiction. And I don't want you to see a contradiction. It's why I try to be open and honest. But the reality is I know they see this and, and I don't want them to think that I'm one person here and somebody else at home. And this is hard for me because I know I fail. But I know this, that while I'm imperfect, I try to model a love for Christ to them. I know that one day when some preacher is standing up and he says, how many of you grow up in a dysfunctional family? They're probably gonna raise their hand because none of us are perfect. But what I do know is this, if we will pursue the Lord passionately if we will be intentional and not just have good intentions, and if we will model repentance, God can do amazing things.
in the book of Ezra, he says, rise up. He says, rise up. He says, this is in your hands. Take it now. Let's run with it. And that's what I would encourage you with today. Take this and run with it. Make a choice today of who you will serve and who your family will serve and live that out. Be intentional. Realize that we don't have to just sit back and take what the world throws at us. We have the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth. Our feet are fitted with the radiance that comes from the gospel of peace. We are the shield of faith. And most possibly most important in this is we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit. Take it and swing it through prayer. Pray God's word. Preach God's word. Praise God's word. Hold on to God's word. Stand on God's word. Because Jesus says if we will build our house upon his word and his teachings by hearing them and doing them, that when the wind and the rains, when the culture, when the world comes against it, that house will not fall. I know for me in preparing this, there's been countless things that I've realized I need to repent of. And when I say repentance, I mean, I need to have a change of mind so I have a change of direction. I need to have a second thought that corrects a first incorrect thought. And I wanna give you just a moment to let the Lord search your heart. What are the things that you need to repent of? Who do you need to say you're sorry to? Reflect on that and pray that God would give us the grace and the courage to rise up and go live this out. Let's take a second and allow the Lord to examine our heart. Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us, just as we talked about earlier. Who are we that you are mindful of us? But God, you are. God, I pray that we could be stirred, that you would stir us by the power of your Holy Spirit to choose today who we'll serve and tomorrow to choose you, Lord, to serve you and next week and next month and next year that our choice would be that we would serve you, Lord, that you would transform our families more and more to be in the design you created it to be, to be people who do fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory. God, I pray that through your grace, your ability, God, you would move us towards that, that our hearts, Lord, would be for you, not just the words we say or even some of our actions, but that we truly love you with all our heart and soul, 
our mind, our strength, that our entire life would be devoted to you, that people would see our passion for you, that we could have the grace to be intentional for you and that we would live lives of repentance that shows the reality of your love. Thank you, God, that you modeled all of this in Christ. God, let us be imitators of him. In Jesus' name.